Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here's almost everything you might have missed in Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Welcome back, you Marvel maniacs, to our breakdown of all the Easter eggs and hidden details that you might have missed in Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Well, almost all of them. We'll be going over this movie with a fine-toothed comb when it's available on digital, but for now, here's everything we were able to find. Now, obviously, to talk about this in detail, we gotta spoil what happens in Black Panther Wakanda Forever. If you want to delve deeper into the movie's ending and post credit scene, we've got you covered in another video. But if you haven't seen the movie yet and you're worried about spoilers, leave now before it's too late. How much more are you hiding? Okay, let's get into it, shall we? The film wastes no time at all in addressing one of its most tragic aspects, both in-universe and in real life. While Black Panther star Chadwick Boseman tragically passed away after a battle with cancer in 2020, T'Challa is similarly dealing with a brutal, undisclosed illness. It's a delicate subject treated with the proper care, respect, and gravity it deserves in the film, and it lends its exploration of grief a real-world weight that amplifies the emotion. As the film opens, we hear Shuri praying to Bast, the panther god of Wakanda. And we saw Bast recently at Omnipotent City in Thor Love and Thunder. In the comics, Bast was formerly the Egyptian goddess Bastet, who left the Ennead and Celestial Heliopolis behind for Wakanda. And there, she imbued the original Black Panther with her powers, transforming him into her avatar. Here, though, Shuri's prayers sadly go unanswered. But Shuri always has put her faith more in science than in the more ephemeral-seeming traditions of her people. It's something she'll have to reckon with over the course of the film. For now, though, we see her relying on her AI system, Grio, voiced by Trevor Noah. This AI also appeared in Black Panther, helping Everett Ross with some much-needed autopilot. The name Grio is a term referring to West African bards who were equal parts historian and troubadour, preserving tribal traditions through poetry and song. And it's a fitting name, as Grio is also a repository for Shuri's knowledge here. It preserves Wakanda's scientific traditions inside its vast databases. Later, Queen Ramonda scolds Shuri about her reliance on artificial intelligence, making a remark about how one day they'll rise up and kill us all. Obviously, this calls to mind Ultron, Tony Stark, and Bruce Banner's ill-fated murderbot who nearly wiped Sokovia off the map in Avengers Age of Ultron. But this exact concern was actually addressed in the Avengers Infinity War Prelude comic, where Shuri assured T'Challa she wouldn't repeat Tony Stark's silly shortcut because she is smarter than he is. And in the current MCU, Shuri may well be the smartest person alive. At T'Challa's funeral service, we can see a few familiar-looking items, including his Black Panther helmet and the shield and weapon he used during his coronation battle at Warrior Falls in the first film. 
When the airship lifts up T'Challa's coffin, you can also hear Ludwig Göransson's music for The Ancestral Plane, which we see in a very different form in this film compared to the first movie. Moving on, Lake Bell appears in this movie as an American scientist. She's working on the team that's using Riri Williams' vibranium detector and accidentally discovers Talo Khan. Now, this isn't her first time in the MCU. She also voiced Black Widow in What If? And she joins others like Alfred Woodard and Gemma Chan in the category of actors who have played two completely unrelated roles in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now, chances are we won't see this doctor again anytime soon unless she's a particularly strong swimmer. But hey, at least she'll be back in What If? Season 2. Now, throughout the movie, Anderson Cooper appears as a newscaster, and there are a couple details that you might have missed in his scenes. The first time he appears, there's a message on the news ticker down the bottom about Scott Lang's autobiography, Scott Lang, Look Out for the Little Guy. And between this and his podcast appearance on This Powered Life that we learned about in Ms. Marvel, it explains how so many people now know intimate details about the battle against Thanos in Endgame. It also gives additional context for why Scott's enjoying so much newfound fame before he gets sucked back into the quantum realm in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Now, the second time we see Anderson Cooper, there's news about New Asgard signing a peace treaty. It's unclear who they'd be at war with, though. Maybe whoever's operating all those cruise ships that turned their home on Midgard into a certified tourist trap. And speaking of war, that brings us to my favorite new addition to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Namor. Created back in 1939 by writer-artist Bill Everett, the Submariner is Marvel's oldest superhero. Namor, as he came to be called, debuted in 1939's Marvel Comics No. 1 for Timely Comics, the company that would later become the Marvel Comics we know and love today. And if you want to know more about that particular comics legacy, Eric Diaz has you covered over on Nerdist. In the comics, Namor was inspired by Samuel Taylor Coleridge's poem, The Rime of the Ancient Mariner. His name was actually formed by literally spelling the word Roman backwards. Here, though, Namor's been reimagined from the King of Atlantis to the God King of Talokan, an ancient and sacred Mesoamerican empire. Now, rather than keeping the Roman influence, Namor's name is now a portmanteau for El Nino Sin Amor, or the Child Without Love. Namor's people also revere him as a god calling him Kukulkan, which is a name shared by the feathered serpent god worshipped by the Mayans in real life. In the comics, Kukulkan was a Mayan deity with a surprising connection to the Submariner. He was first mentioned back in 1948's Namora No. 1, the comic debut of Namor's right-hand woman slash cousin slash love interest, Namora. Game of Thrones? Buckle up. Been there, done that. Now, we do get at least one acknowledgement of Namor's Roman-inspired comics heritage when Namor shouts Imperius Rex during his final battle with Shuri. This Latin-esque saying is Namor's catchphrase roughly translating to Empire King. And he basically shouts it any time he's about to throw hands, which is all the time, always. Now, personally, we prefer the translation that Namor offered in 2018's Thor number 1. I'm going to feed your sorry Asgardian hide to the biggest sharks I can find. As for Namor's heritage, he is more powerful than any of his Talokani counterparts. This is due to the fact that he was in the womb when his mother took that physiology-altering herb that imbued him with amazing abilities, including his little winged feet. It's also a nice parallel to how Wakanda relies on the heart-shaped herb to imbue their protectors with amazing abilities as well. Namor describes himself as a mutant, joining a growing list of MCU mutants, including Kamala Khan, Professor X in the Multiverse of Madness, and Mr. Immortal on She-Hulk. And while Namor isn't the oldest mutant chronologically in the Marvel Universe, that honor goes to Apocalypse, he is the first canonical mutant in the comics. 
Moving on, when we get to see Riri Williams fly her Ironheart suit for the first time, the way the sequence is framed mirrors Tony's first flight in the Mark II armor in the original Iron Man, right down to flying too high too quickly. Riri's first flight also mirrors her origins in the comics in 2016's Invincible Iron Man number 7. But instead of MIT campus security, she's evading the FBI and a Talokan strike force. And while Tony isn't around to mentor her like in the comics, she's clearly invested in his engineering legacy. This ability to reverse engineer Tony's work will likely play a major role in the Ironheart series, and could wind up having a ripple effect down the line in Armor Wars as well. It's also definitely going to put her on the radars of folks like Damage Control and Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine, which could have big implications for Thunderbolts as well. And speaking of high-tech armor, we also get to see the Midnight Angels in this film. They first appeared in 2010's Doom War No. 5 as an elite group within the already elite Dora Milaje. They were handpicked to help Deadpool assassinate Doctor Doom, who many folks thought would appear in this movie. Here, though, it's a term given to the high-tech armor created by Shuri and Riri to put the Dora Milaje on equal footing with the super-strong Talokani warriors. And later on, when Okoye springs Everett Ross from police custody in her Midnight Angel armor, there's another subtle tribute to Chadwick Boseman. The license plate on the van reads CB112976, and that is short for Chadwick Boseman and his birthday of November 29th, 1976. When Umbaku shows up chomping a carrot like Bugs Umbunny, it's a nice throwback to a joke in the first movie. He scares the living daylight out of Everett Ross by threatening to feed him to his children, only to reveal the Jabari tribe are actually vegetarians. <laughs> As for Wakabi, Okoye's husband played by Daniel Kaluuya in the first film, he's apparently still alive and kicking, but he's cooling his heels in prison in Wakanda somewhere after he sided with Killmonger against T'Challa and company in the first movie. As for Kaluuya, he will rejoin the Marvel Universe in a slightly different capacity, as the voice of Spider-Punk in the forthcoming Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. As for Namor's deadly attack on Wakanda, this was also straight out of the comics. During the events of Avengers vs. X-Men, Namor, using the power of the Phoenix Force, flooded Wakanda with massive tidal waves killing countless people. And in response, Shuri led a strike team to Atlantis to destroy their city in kind. And while Nakia infiltrated Talokan in this movie, only one person died during that mission. Now, future bloodshed isn't out of the question, but it does seem staunched for the time being by the film's end. The movie also sets up a few other mysteries that could come into play in future MCU outings. One is that Namor mentions that multiple vibranium-rich meteors hit the Earth, and they made deposits of this incredibly valuable metal all over the planet. So far, we know of deposits in Wakanda and Talokan, and the two secretive nations now have an uneasy alliance to keep them secret and keep them safe from the rest of the world. In the comics, one of the other major deposits was in Antarctica in an area known as the Savage Land. This alien big game preserve is still firmly in the prehistoric era with dinosaurs still roaming the land. And many, ourselves included, were excited by the prospect of a live-action Savage Land when we saw a glimpse of a dinosaur-filled world in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Of course, for now, it's just wishful thinking, but maybe someday we'll see our favorite heroes meeting Kazar and company to battle dinosaurs galore in a future outing. The real question is, who will be stronger, the MCU Kazar or Marvel Snaps Kazar? Depends on what deck you're running. And last but not least, as we mentioned in our mid-credits breakdown, T'Challa and Nakia's son, Toussaint, is named for Haitian freedom fighter Toussaint Louverture. The name itself means All Souls in French, and All Souls Day is celebrated each year in Haiti. It also ties back to the Wakandan belief in the ancestral plane. 
Anyway, folks, there you have it. That's everything we spotted in Black Panther Wakanda Forever. We'll have plenty of other deep dives for you on Nerdist in the days ahead, but for now, tell us what did you think of this movie? Did you spot anything that we missed? Let us know in the comments below, and for the latest and greatest in the world of pop culture, make sure you stay tuned to Nerdist.com. 